Mm. You will start to learn so much about who you are as a woman and really start to appreciate that this is not all in your head, why you feel differently at different times a month. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Welcome to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? This week on the podcast, we are talking all things hormones. I have a real treat for you guys with the episode this week. It is an insanely informative episode. I'm speaking with Jen Pike, who is an expert on hormones. She runs a couple of different programs for women who want to learn more about their bodies and how their hormonal systems affect their lives. We do dive pretty deep into the nitty gritty of our hormonal systems this week. So I just kind of want to give you guys some background knowledge before we start. So we're talking about your sex hormones, your adrenals, and your thyroid. These are probably things that you guys have heard me allude to on the podcast before, but this week we're taking a really deep dive into each of these things. So I want to kind of explain how they're all related to each other. These systems are what help us deal with stressors in our lives. So anything that we perceive as a stress, this is the system that's going to kick in and it starts in the brain. So you may have heard of your HPA axis before. The HPA axis is what activates in response to this stressor. The H stands for hypothalamus, which is located in the brain. So all of these signals originate in the brain because you perceive the stress and your brain processes it first. The P stands for your pituitary, and the A stands for your adrenal cortex. Your adrenals are what release cortisol. So when they're activated, cortisol is released, and this is your stress hormone. So this is the hormone in your body that allows you to actually deal with the stress. So when you're in a very stressful situation, levels of cortisol in your body will be high. This is a good thing as long as the system is working properly and it's not overstimulated. This can be a bad thing if you're in a constant state of stress and so there's a constant level of cortisol in your body. That's definitely not what you want. So we have the HPA axis originating in the brain and activating the adrenals. As Jen will explain in this episode, the HPA axis actually has another piece for women. We can call it the HPAO axis because the ovaries are also involved in this pathway. This is the reason that for women, our adrenals and our stress are so closely related to our sex hormones and our reproductive system. If we're in a constant state of stress, our adrenals are going to talk to our ovaries and say, hey, this probably isn't an environment where we want to procreate and bring another life into the world. Let's go ahead and shut down for now and not use the energy to reproduce. We don't need you. So if you hear people talk about how maybe they're in adrenal fatigue and that caused them to lose their period, this is the reason why. It's those adrenals being overstimulated, speaking to the ovaries, down-regulating what's going on in the ovaries, so then our reproductive systems aren't functioning at the capacity that they should be. 
So there's your connection between the adrenals and your sex hormones. Now the thyroid is also involved in this. Your thyroid is the gland that deals with your metabolism and your energy. So metabolism is just the way that we are able to use energy in our bodies, which is obviously important for everything that relates to things that keep us alive, all the functions that happen in our body to help us live and function in the world. Within this HPAO axis, the hypothalamus actually also speaks with the thyroid and activates the thyroid. So your thyroid is linked to this system as well. So often when one of these things are off, so if your adrenals are overstimulated or they're not responding to things well enough, that's going to affect your thyroid as well because it is indirectly a part of the same pathway. You're going to hear Jen talk more about this in this episode. You'll hear her referring to a lot of these things. I just wanted to kind of give you guys a first shot and understanding what she's talking about in this pathway so that when you hear her speak about it, maybe you're able to wrap your head around it a little bit more. I know this is complicated stuff, but it really is so important to understand the mechanisms at work in your body so that you can be more in tune with what's going on and you can understand how your hormones exactly relate to what it is that you're feeling and any stress that you might be dealing with in your life. For me, it's been unbelievably powerful to learn about all of these things and understand when I go to my naturopath and she says, well, your thyroid's probably a little bit underactive, I can understand what that means. When I go to the naturopath because my period's gone, I understand the importance of reducing stress in my life because I know that my adrenals are directly connected to my reproductive system. Knowledge is power. There is so much incredible information in this episode. Jen is somebody that I started following a little while back and she has really inspired me to rethink the way that I understand my cycle throughout the month, that I understand how females should be moving and eating and thinking really the way that they should be living their lives in the world because we have four distinct phases of our cycle which Jen will talk about and we're gonna feel a different way and our body is going to be inclined to act or move or eat a certain way at each of those four phases within our cycle throughout the month. So we talk about those things in this episode. We also talk about the female sex hormones. So we talk about estrogen and progesterone and also testosterone, which is present in females as well. And the imbalances of those that can occur, some symptoms of those that can happen. We talk about training during the four phases of your cycle and how to be compassionate with yourself as a female because it might not be possible for you to walk into the gym and do the same exact workout for four weeks in a row because your body is different for each of those four weeks. Your hormones are literally at different levels in each of those four weeks. So understanding this about ourselves really also empowers us to think about our training in a different way and a program that we're running in a little bit different of a way. I'm really excited for everybody to hear this episode. Like I said, this is a topic that has been insanely important for me lately and the way that I'm thinking about my body and myself. So I hope it has the same effect on you. Here is my conversation with Jen Pike. Could you tell us a little bit about your story and why you feel so passionately about teaching women about their bodies and about their hormones? 
So for me, I've been in the industry now for over 20 years. I've been in a gym environment since I was literally a young child with my dad. And so I, I gravitated originally to focusing more on personal training and working with the physical part of the body. And in the early part of my career, I was working with women who were primarily moms. And I didn't have children at the time. So when they were talking to me about you know, their body changing, their hormones changing, what it really meant to be exhausted. I didn't get it because I didn't have kids. I was, you know, in my 20s and it didn't connect with me. And when I became a mom for the first time at 26, I had this complete revelation of, first of all, I wanted to call all of my female clients and apologize. Now I actually, I understand what you were talking about. Like you just don't know what you don't know. You can read it in a textbook. You can be taught it by someone else, but until you're literally feeling it and experiencing it, it is not the same. And so from that moment forward of becoming a mom, I, I mean, for myself, I wanted to know more about my own body and what was going on, but I really began to coach and train my clients in a completely different manner. And I was also a holistic nutritionist at that time and I still am now, but what I started to realize is it was less about the things that they were doing in terms of trying to make these 360 changes and more about the small, consistent daily habits that they were forming or contributing to that were actually shaping what was happening in their hormones. And that word feeling is what I started to connect to more than anything, was really getting into deeper conversations with women about, okay, I know you're struggling with the scale or not feeling comfortable in your clothes and your body, but how are you actually feeling? From there, it then became getting connected with different practitioners and creating a, a collective network of colleagues where I could send these women out to somebody beyond their family doctor who was dismissing their symptoms, who wasn't doing appropriate testing, and get them connected with either a naturopath or a homeopath. And we could start to look beyond the surface and actually begin to get these women some really great results based on that feeling first. And what I discovered is that the look, the appearance of our body, the things that we thought we were so attached to, they're like a bonus on the other side of actually waking up and just feeling fantastic, but feeling connected to yourself. What I really do is I help women decode the foreign language that their body is communicating with them every day and help them become more aware of how to understand that. I relate to that so much. I've been doing a lot of thinking about how I'm not necessarily always considering a woman and where she is in her cycle when she comes yeah. into the gym and how maybe an extra stressor or pushing her really, really hard that day, it's actually not what's best for her. And are we talking and really thinking about sleep and ways that we're using nutrition to nourish our bodies in respect to our cycles and things. So this is something that I'm, I'm really excited to keep learning more about because I think it's a big missing piece in the gym. Like, I don't think there are really any trainers that are talking about this. And I think it's so important because it's all so closely connected. It is a majority of the research. If you look back, like, I mean, everything from the beginning work of Tudor Bamba and periodization and, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and everything is based on a man's body and a man has a 24 hour cycle. It is the same cycle every single day. They produce majority of their hormones when they're sleeping at night. It's where their testosterone and human growth hormone happens. A woman's cycle is anywhere from 23 to 36 days. We have four different phases in every single cycle. So for a man, it's like, you know, Groundhog Day over <laughs> and over again. But for a woman, the reason that oftentimes people will say, you know, like you have mood swings or you're different from time to time, it's like, yeah, actually legitimately my chemistry mm -hmm. is different at different times of the month. 
I need to move differently. I need to be fed differently. I need to be talked to, cared for, and rested differently at different times of the month. And I think this is something that we are going to see the change start to happen, but we're at the very beginning of what needs to change. It's sort of a relief to realize that as a female, we may not have to expect that every single day we show up and be able to do and perform just as well as we did the week before. Right. There's a lot of just like self-forgiveness in that. There is. There's a lot of compassion in it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the hard thing is that we're even taught as trainers, you create a program and the program is geared towards what the outcome is of the client, which is always wanting to look a different way without necessarily taking into consideration what's going on inside. If your cyclical program is a four to six week program, well, for a guy, no problem. You can hammer that out. You can like, you know, try and hit your personal best each time. But for a woman, a four to six week cycle of training or a program that's put together, she's gone through four to six different cycles within that one program. Mm-hmm. So we can't expect her to every week be increased her weight, you know, every week running faster, going harder. There has to be a cyclical approach in times when her body needs to pull back and incubate and, and actually do some more of the restorative work. We as the trainers and educators need to give a woman permission to do that mm-hmm. because she will not be the one to give herself that permission. hundred percent, especially if all the messaging around it is completely different than that. Right. You can't even stand in the grocery store without buying your food and then seeing the cover on the magazine of this month's new it session that you need to do. And it's never this month you actually need to take it down a notch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's always like no, you need to work yeah. harder. Yeah, for sure. Let's get into hormones in a little bit more details. Um, let's talk a little bit about estrogen and progesterone and why it's so important for females to have a balance of those two. Well, it's important that they actually have a balance of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. So those are the three main um, sex hormones that we're talking about. They're not all of our hormones. We have more than 50 different hormones that we're producing in any given day. But with estrogen and progesterone, what's so critical as a female is that when we're in those pre-puberty years, those like tween years, and we start to notice changes in our body, hair growth, the shape of our body, we're growing breast, different cervical fluids, things start to change, our mood might start to change. That's when there is a rise of estrogen that's starting to happen in our system. And we want that. Estrogen is what's starting to prepare our body to ripen the follicles in our ovaries and begin to start to release eggs, which is ovulation. Progesterone is a hormone that is equally as important. We need to have this balance of estrogen and progesterone, and I'll talk about why in a moment, but you can't actually produce progesterone if you don't ovulate. So when you release an egg, there Mm -hmm. is this thing called a corpus luteum, which is like the leftover sac from that egg. And that is actually what our body utilizes to produce progesterone. Oh, super interesting. So if you're not ovulating, you're not producing progesterone? Like you can't. You'll produce some from other visceral areas in the body, Mm -hmm. a little bit maybe from the liver and some from the adrenals, but not in the abundance that you would need. So for girls and Mm -hmm. women who are put on the birth control pill to either regulate their cycle, clear up their acne, um, or, you know, they're going on it truly for birth control. The first thing that pill does is it actually shuts down the gland in their brain that communicates ovulation. So they don't ovulate the entire time that they're on the pill. And this is something that we can tap into if you want to in a little bit as to why it can be so challenging for girls then when they come off the pill to step back into having a regular cycle. Mm -hmm. So that estrogen progesterone balance in the first half of our menstrual cycle. So a lot of people will tell you that the typical woman has a 28 day cycle. I've been doing this a very long time now and I would say it's rare that, you know, out of a group of 10 women, 
maybe two or three have a 28-day cycle. Most have a shorter or a little bit longer. So there's a range. But it's normally regular? Like if like a woman would normally like regularly be 30 days. Exactly. Or like 24 days. It's Mm -hmm. it's regular for her system. Mm -hmm. But in the first half of her cycle is when her estrogen levels would be higher um, and when the follicular stimulating hormone would be elevated. You know, that first part of your cycle after you've menstruated, it's when your energy is up, your, you know, brain focus, cognition, clarity is there. You know, you're feeling a little bit more amorous and flirtatious. Sex drive is going to be elevated because your body's leading into ovulation, when your body thinks, regardless of whether or not you want to become a mother, your body is going to give the signals like you are trying to attract a mate. And then you have a spike in your temperature when ovulation has happened, if it's occurred, and that progesterone becomes the more predominant hormone. And progesterone is really important. This helps to take our system out of that fight or flight, you know, sympathetic and into more of our parasympathetic, which is rest and digest. It helps to really bathe our body in key hormones that support healthy hair and skin. Progesterone's support system is there to help to actually take that possibly fertilized egg and thicken that up so that an amniotic sac and a baby can start to develop. So one of the main reasons that women can have repeated uh, miscarriages is a lack of progesterone, not enough to hold that fertilized egg on the uterine lining. And then when that level drops off, then that is when the uterus actually sheds and we pass that uterine lining as our menstrual cycle and then the cycle starts again. So when estrogen and progesterone are out of balance, there are obviously different ways that that can happen. I've heard estrogen dominance is a common one, but can you tell us kind of what those look like and what are the symptoms when they're out of balance? What that actually means is that there is an excess amount of estrogen in relationship to progesterone and or testosterone. Hmm. What is this woman going to feel? She's going to have heavy periods, long periods, blood clotting. She's going to have a lot of cramping, not just in her uterine, but in her lower back, hips and pelvis, probably a lot of breast tenderness, really exacerbated leading into her cycle, acne, and a lot of mood swings. Those are going to be Mm -hmm. some of your telltale symptoms of higher levels of estrogen. And then once she gets through her cycle, she feels like she becomes more of herself who are suffering from really bad estrogen dominance, um, they'll tell you that the seven to 10 days leading into their cycle is not an enjoyable period of time. They feel like they really just need to stay home and, and can't contribute. Wow. So what would you, what do you suggest for those women? Well, the first thing is looking at, you know, where is this excess estrogen coming from? So what are they consuming? We know enough now to know that there are certain chemicals like our skincare products, our makeup, plastics, those types of things that are going to increase the chemical forms, the xenoestrogens in our body. This is where something like the Dutch test, which is what I use in my practice, blood work is going to test one source of estrogen, estradiol in your body, but you produce three. And then you have three different metabolites you break it down to, and then you have to move it into a phase two detox. So if you were to come to me and say you had these symptoms, um, we were to look at your blood work and everything on the blood work will quote unquote look fine, but everything you're describing to me is not fine. And you really are sounding like you're suffering from some of these issues. I would say to you, you know what, I think it'd be a good idea if we went ahead and did the dried urinary test. 
let's look deeper beyond what you're producing and actually see like, do you break it down? Mm -hmm. Maybe the problem with your body is not that you're producing too much estrogen. Maybe your body's having a difficult time breaking it down, metabolizing it and sending it out the right pathway. And you're actually not releasing that estrogen each month. You're retoxing, you're reabsorbing it. This is why you have too much. So a pattern I notice with a lot of women who have excess estrogen is they have really poor digestion. They are fairly constipated. They're not eliminating well. And if they are eliminating, it's because they're having a morning coffee or a latte, which the coffee is actually really high in estrogen, but it's a stimulant. It's a laxative. So they're under the right. illusion, like their elimination is really healthy. But when we start to peel back some of those layers, we want to improve digestion support the liver as well too. That's a really key one that we're not being taught enough about because your liver, I mean, it has over 500 jobs. If you were just to open your eyes and blink and breathe in your bed for the day, that's how important and vital this organ is. <laughs> but then we get up and we start to live life and we're a woman and we're cycling and we're producing an abundance of these hormones and your liver has to filter these hormones, primarily estrogen. So if the liver gets tired, if it's like, you would just keep tacking more work on me and you don't sleep well for me and you're super stressed, I can't do a very good job at being able to break down all of the other stuff that you're asking me to do. And so mm -hmm. if we can get in there and we can support it with things like thistle are very alkalizing and very supportive. So with the women that I work with, if that's something that we need to focus on, which it almost always is, <laughs> um, I'm gonna give them some form of a tincture. Dandy Blend is a really great one to use, which is a powder as opposed to a coffee that's dandelion based. And then we're gonna make sure that they're actually pooping every day. This is ground zero. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that the food you're eating, you're actually breaking down so that mm -hmm. you're getting the nutrients. And then we have to make sure you're eliminating. What's the difference between like a healthy elimination and one that's just stimulated by coffee? So typically the coffee stimulated one is going to come during your coffee. The coffee poop is probably going to be looser, a little bit muddier. It's, you're going to be wiping more than you really should. A really good bowel movement is going to be formed. It's going to come out of your body with ease. You're not going to see undigested food. It's not dry, hard, and pellety, and it's not like mud. That's going to be the difference. <laughs> Cool. Makes sense. Yeah. Do you have any other like common imbalances that you see, like maybe mm. low in both? And then what are the symptoms of those? So there's a few different things that can happen. Sometimes you have a woman who's presenting with higher levels of estrogen, but then you test her and realize she actually has higher levels of androgens as well. She's got mm -hmm. high DHEA, high testosterone, or maybe they're sitting normal, but again, the way she metabolizes them are far more androgenic, meaning she's going to have cystic acne, maybe hair loss on the head, hair growth on the chin, acne on the chest and the back, as well as maybe the glutes, those types of things. So that is a a really prevalent one. I see it a lot with women who are suffering from polycystic ovarian syndrome and who aren't ovulating. And then, you know, I have some women who are coming into my practice in their 20s and 30s who have such low hormone levels, they're measuring as though they're in menopause. Oh, wow. So it really depends on the individual. Mm -hmm. And we you know when you're working with a practitioner, you want to work with someone who's going to do a timeline history. They really should be asking you, you know, do you know what your mom's pregnancy was like with you when you were in utero of her? 
what your delivery was, you know, as a child, were you sick often? Were you on antibiotics or different medications? Did you have asthma? Um, you know, what was your health like as a teen? How old were you when you got your cycle? What was it like when you got it? Did you go on synthetic hormones for birth control? If so, why? Were you on the same one the whole time? Explain to me how you felt when you were on it. How does your body typically respond to stress? When you came off synthetic hormones, how did your body respond at that point? You know, we, we want to meet you where you're at now in one sense of understanding, but in order to understand the person that is here today, we have to go back and, and look at the history that has led up to now. Mm-hmm. I feel like all of those things and in that level of detail is often missed oh, by we, practitioners. We also have to understand that when we're looking at the medical industry, OHIP gives them about seven to eight minutes per patient. That's what the system is now. It's, That's it's insane. Barely, I didn't know barely, that was actually dictated. That's crazy. Right. So you'll have some <laughs> physicians that they choose not to congest their practice so that they can give more time. But I would say, I mean, again, I'm in practice every day and it's very rare where I have a client who says, my doctor, you know, gives me 10 or 15 minutes. Like when I hear that, I'm like, wow, don't let that doctor go. Cause that is in doctor years. That's like an hour. Wow. <laughs> and they're also just not trained beyond that scope of practice, which we have to remember they're a general practitioner. Mm-hmm. So they only know what they know. They're not taught about full thyroid panels. They're only taught to measure TSH, which when we have big hormonal issues, we aren't just looking at the menstrual cycle and those hormones in your mood. We have to go upstream. Right. So like I talked about digestion and liver, well, what's going on with your adrenals and your thyroid? You know, what's going on with your pituitary gland? What's going on up top? And they don't have that training. And that's why as frustrated as we can get, because we've all been taught as a society, the doctor knows everything. They they don't. Just like in the personal training industry, right? We know there are some trainers where they have a specialty that is their niche. They kick ass at it. And if that's your goal, this is the person you're going to. And then you have the general trainer who will just work with anybody. You know, there's that specificity no matter what we're talking about. We just need to be retrained and shift our mindset as to who we have to look for to help us. Yeah, that makes sense. This is definitely not a small question, but I'm wondering if you can summarize how the adrenals and your thyroid are related to your sex hormones and how they're all connected. And often if there's an imbalance in one, there's something going on in the other. There's a deep connection in a couple of different ways. Again, we have to go upstream. So every signal actually happens in the brain first before the message gets to the thyroid, the adrenals, and the ovaries. So there's something, when people say, I have adrenal fatigue, or my adrenals are overactive, or my adrenals are stressed, is something called an HPA axis imbalance. So that is your hypothalamus in your brain, your pituitary in your brain, and then your adrenal connection. So our brain is what recognizes, responds, and perceives the amount of stress that we're being exposed to, and then says messages out to the rest of the body. Now with this, your body doesn't actually know if this is real stress, Hmm. if this is imagined, if this is anticipated, this is happy stress. It doesn't know that you're watching a horror movie and that you're not actually being chased by a murderer. It doesn't doesn't realize that, you know, you're getting married in three weeks and you're running around with your head cut off because you're planning for the best day of your life. All your body knows is, holy crap, like we are under a lot of stress. And so that sends a message to your adrenals that your adrenals now after have to choose, are we going to pump out cortisol and produce a sympathetic fight or flight response? Or are we going to stay calm 
do we have that base? We have that resiliency. And so when we're talking about supporting our body as a whole, if you're the person that overacts to or overreacts rather to everything, you probably don't have enough reserve in the tank. So when something happens you weren't anticipating, you feel like you know the rug was pulled out from under you. Mm-hmm. Now, what's important in this relationship is that the hypothalamus and pituitary, they also connect to your thyroid. So when we're getting something like our TSH measured in blood work, which is your thyroid stimulating hormone, most people don't realize that that actually isn't produced by your thyroid at all. It's produced in your brain by your pituitary. So it's actually a signal. It Mm -hmm. comes from the brain, knocks on the thyroid's door and says, hey there, thyroid, your job now is you need to produce some T4 and T3. Once you do that, we need to knock on the liver's door and ask it to help us convert more T4 to T3 because this is the only way we can get the thyroid hormone in your cells. You can be having a healthy TSH level. You can be producing healthy T4. But if conversion is the problem, if there's a mechanism that's out of whack and your body can't you know, move it into that absorbable form, you don't get to utilize the benefit of that thyroid hormone. You become exhausted. You can't lose weight. You're constipated. Hair's falling out. You're cold Mm -hmm. all the time. Conversely with that, if the thyroid is working too hard, the signaling isn't getting there for a different reason, then you have an overactive situation. If you, when you have an issue with the thyroid, unless it is something where, you know, it's autoimmune, it's been there for a very long time. And even in that, I would say that we're starting from a a gut level. I can guarantee you your adrenals have been in a state of stress for probably a decade or longer before the the thyroid actually shows the symptoms. Really? Interesting. And it's, yeah. And when you start to talk people and you ask them, well, what was going on? leading into the diagnosis or the realization that something was happening with your thyroid. You know, while I was going through a separation, there was a Mm -hmm. lot of stress in my life, you know, school was stressful, finances were stressing me out. I was going through, you know, a transition in work, whatever it may be, or I had, you know, I was actually just recovering from chronic bronchitis or I had strep or I was getting over mono, or in my case, working with women, um, I had just gotten off of a really bad bout of multiple urinary tract infections, and I was being prescribed antibiotic after antibiotic. And so again, you always have to hear what they're saying that's happening right now, and then go, huh, okay, what else? And you ju- the more questions you ask, and the more layers you peel, you start to kind of discover where this root maybe began. And then moving from there, so you've got that HPA axis in the thyroid, the next level, there is an O on the other side of the letter A. So it's the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal ovarian axis. Never ovary, heard that before. Yeah. So our ovaries, they're like the final frontier. Hmm. So again, it starts up top. So when we're working with women and trying to help to educate them on their cycle, to create a cycle that has more ease, that doesn't feel like it's taking days away from them and causing them pain, we have to start with the energy up top. So hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Can we dive in a little bit more um, to the four phases of the cycle and just talk about them in a little more detail? So starting with the follicular phase on day one. So with the four phases of your cycle, your follicular phase is actually day one after your menstrual cycle begins. So the menstrual cycle is the fourth phase. So the follicular is the first. 
And that follicular, that is when our estrogen levels are, are climbing. It's when that follicular stimulating hormone is at its highest level. Again, this is when energy comes back to us. This is when we were talking about, you know, that clarity and focus. This is when you're on your A game. It's when your body physically feels back to normal and it can produce. And this is that time that you really want to be supporting, you know, a healthy diet that is giving you a balance of protein, fat, and fiber. You're focusing on a lot of your root vegetables around this time for your carbohydrate sources. So like plantain and sweet potatoes and squash and parsnips and those types of things. And you know, you're, you're honoring your sleep. You're going to honor your sleep throughout your entire cycle. But what can happen is when we have all of this energy in the beginning, we tend to burn the candle at both ends. We stay up <laughs> later and that will come back to bite you in the second half of your cycle. So that follicular phase, the purpose is to start to ripen the follicles to get those ovaries ready. And what a lot of women don't realize is that so when you were an egg inside your mother's body, when she was inside your grandmother's body, pregnant with her, you already had the amount of eggs that you will have for the rest of your life. From the moment so you were interesting. born- right? Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. And this is like that whole epigenetic component to it. And this egg wisdom is that we carry so much more in us from that lineage of women that came before us than we recognize and realize. Mm. And so, you know, we're talking a lot of the physical chemistry responses that are happening, but these are all completely interconnected to our emotions, to our, you know, mental state, to our history. So once we get through that follicular phase, now we move into the ovulatory phase. And so the follicular phase for women is going to be anywhere from like seven to 10 days. Again, it depends on the full length of her cycle. Ovulation is going to happen typically over a three to four day period. Now we are only fertile as women um, in terms of that egg being released and being around for about 12 to 24 hours but sperm can live in our body for up to five to six days. So that's why most women will be told if you're practicing fertility awareness as your birth control, you want to abstain from about a five to six day period just to be safe. Mm-hmm. Once we've gone but through- definitely, audience, definitely not fertile the whole cycle. That's only oh gosh, a short no. little part of it. Right. And this is kind of the extent of most of our upbringing of health education is you get told at some point, when you get your period, you can get pregnant. Don't. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You can get pregnant at any time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So once you've ovulated um, and you go through that phase, now your body moves you into the luteal phase. And that is the longest period of time. That's typically anywhere from eight to 14 days, depending again on a female's rhythms. And that period of time is when we are getting that richening of the luteinizing hormone of progesterone. This is when we're probably going to start to notice that our energy begins to soften a little bit. We're not kind of jumping out of bed in the morning with the same level of zestiness. We're maybe craving a little bit more quiet, having more space. You know, we might think about doing walking more than running. Yoga is really fantastic at this period of time. You can still do the strength training, but it's more body weight stuff. More mobility would be fantastic as opposed to trying to increase your load every time and go deeper. And then that is going to, you know, kind of carry with you as you're leading into that fourth phase, which is your menstrual phase. And in that luteal phase, this is where our nutrition is so important because as we lead into our cycle, especially if there's any imbalances with blood sugar, insulin regulation, if your stress is higher, you are going to start to crave more of the sweets, more of the salt, more of the processed carbohydrates. Your, your body is going to tell you that it's looking for a fix. It wants something to make you feel good. And this is where we have to be more aware of it so that we can be prepared and start to choose things 
that are again going to give us some healthy fiber to help to eliminate and get that excess estrogen out, some healthy fat to bathe those hormones and keep us feeling satiated, and a good source of protein as well too. You know, within the fiber, that's where your carbohydrates are going to come in. So I am not somebody that believes in cutting out carbohydrates at all. I have seen approaches like keto for long periods of time, low carb for long periods of time, do pretty drastic things to females hormonal cycles. And some of them in the beginning might have great results, especially if they started off in a really insulin resistant state. You know, they were eating a lot of really processed foods and cleaned things up, then they probably are going to feel pretty darn good in the beginning with that higher amount of fat until they don't. And there is always that period of time for a female where I felt good, I felt good, I felt good. Now, all of a sudden, I don't have energy. My hair is falling out. My skin is changing. I've started to try to incorporate the carbohydrates again, and now I am packing on the weight and I can't lose it. We have to remember that a ketogenic approach, it was meant for a short period of time as a therapeutic approach. The people that I hear as the biggest proponents of it and that do do well in it long term are all male. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that. All of these books that really push it, they're all males, which maybe they do better on it for a long period of time. But it's interesting that to be supporting our ovulation and to be supporting our system as a female, that it's, it doesn't work as well long term. It really doesn't because again, we're so cyclical and we have different needs mm -hmm. at different times. So you could take a keto-ish approach if it's mm -hmm. something that felt good for you where at certain times of the month, maybe you're able to do that and that's what you vibe on, but then you are going to need to bring some more of those plant-based carbohydrates back into your system and being able to do it in a way where you're not all of a sudden worrying about the fact that now maybe you're not in a you know lipolytic state, you're in a glycolytic. Like Your body was designed to be able to handle this. So I know that we're getting hammered from all of these people in all different walks of life telling us that we should be eliminating our carbohydrates, consuming, you know, 40 grams or less a day. I'll tell you as a female, I never would recommend to anybody who's still menstruating to go below about 100, 125 carbohydrates of carbs a day. And I'd say that's even low depending on, I don't know what your physical activity level is. I am active six, seven days a week. I will consume between 150 and 200 grams of carbohydrates a day. And that's to sustain a level of cognitive function, hormonal health and performance. If I dip lower than that, my cycle gets shorter. Oh, wow. Interesting. I started tracking when I was 17 and I'm 39. Wow, 17. <laughs> yeah, so if you were to ask my girlfriends in high school, they would laugh because like in grade nine and 10, I was like teaching the sex ed in the change room. <laughs> <laughs> I always had an interest in it because my oldest sister is 12 years older than me. So she was 16 mm. when I was four. The conversations in our house, I was exposed to a lot of different things at a young age. And I was just always curious and interested. When I was 17, I was at a yoga studio and I picked up this book called Taking Charge of Your Fertility. And I wasn't interested in getting pregnant, but what I I was so fascinated about was that there was an approach to actually track your cycle that we had these different rhythms and that you didn't have to be on a birth control pill to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I used to track it on graph paper with like a pencil. <laughs> No it apps had, then. It had no apps. It had no apps. But now, yeah, that's one of the first things I will tell women to do is if you are not tracking your cycle and making notes about how you feel at the various phases in your cycle, it's a really powerful gift to give yourself. Mm -hmm. You will start to learn so much about who you are as a woman 
and really start to appreciate that this is not all in your head, why you feel differently at different times a month, and that you need to, like we said, give yourself permission to know that every Monday can't be the same Monday. It depends on what's happening in your body. So that level of awareness, then when you actually start to have something that's out of whack, So a lot of girls I work with will say, well, I don't really have a lot of complaints right now, so I don't need to do that yet. But here's the problem. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And Mm -hmm. then when you start to have problems, we don't have any background of knowing where your benchmark was, where you were at. Right. I encourage everyone listening, start to track as soon as you can. You know, make this as important as brushing your teeth every day because your body as a female gives you data on a day-to-day basis, and then you get a monthly report card with your period. We are talking about, you know, with different types of sensations that we can have. I'll say to women, you have to look when you wipe. You have to look in the toilet. You need to look and see, like, what is your body excreting? Because we want to see what's coming out to give us messages, but then we also are going to understand what's not coming out. So the color of your cycle, you know, the the texture of your cycle. This is why transitioning um, into using menstrual cups for a lot of women can be a really powerful tool because it's catching your flow and you can actually see what that flow is made up of. So just looping back around one more time to the carbs part of it, would you say it's more important to make sure that you're supporting your cycle with good plant sources of carbs in that follicular phase, like in that first half of the cycle? I would say that's the part of the cycle where you can get away with having lower carbohydrates. Oh, so opposite. It's the, it's okay. the latter. It's the mm. luteal leaning into your cycle. Um, and again, because those carbohydrates and when we're choosing more root vegetables and grounding things. And again, like I'm never going to tell you not to eat fruit. I'm going to warn you that you shouldn't put, you know, four sources of fruit into a smoothie and add juice to it and those types of yeah. things. But low glycemic fruits, we need to look at how can we ground our system right? Like what's going to satiate you, what's going to make you feel good. And that is going to help to support the appropriate level of those hormones because your hormones and all those glands that we've talked about, they do not care what your body fat goal is. They do not care that you want to wear two sizes smaller than what you're wearing. Your body will defend you through and through. And regardless of what your goal is up top, like in your headspace, your body will do whatever it has to do to keep you at a healthy enough weight. And if you dip too low, you train too hard, you don't get the sleep, you're chronically stressed, your body will actually start to shut down that reproductive system because it'll say, hey, this is actually not a safe environment. This is not consistent. We are kind of getting into a bit of a danger zone and it is not our priority for you to procreate life. So you don't need your cycle this month or you don't actually need to ovulate this month. So if you normally have a 25 to 27 day cycle and you've had a stressful month or a stressful couple months, and then all of a sudden you get like a 22 day cycle and you're like, what, why do I have my period right now? You need to ask yourself, how have you been treating yourself the last couple of months? Because it takes 90 to hundred days for those follicles to get fully ripened before we release an egg. So that egg that's released in this cycle, that's going to come up. You've been working on that baby for a couple of months. Oh, interesting. Let's talk a little bit about birth control. Personally, I was on birth control for years. Before I was on the birth control pill, my periods were relatively regular, I think. I was a teenager, so like I wasn't yeah. tracking them very well, but they seemed they were fine. Since coming off the pill, it was like over a year ago, I've had a lot of trouble getting my period back. I yeah. think some of it is definitely related to what you're talking about and 
overtraining, low carb for a long period of time, like a lot of things going on in the last couple of years, in addition to like having just come off the pill. But can we just talk a little bit about what your body goes through when you come off the pill and how your hormones have been shut down for such a long period of time and what happens afterwards. And and listen, like I was on the birth control pill for seven years as well from the time I was 15 to 22. I actually came off in the parking lot of the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition after a course on estrogen dominance. And I was like, and I'm done. (laughs) And, uh, That's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, we have a puberty maturation period of time of eight to 10 years. We think that when we get our period as a young girl, that then, okay, we've hit puberty. You We're know, a woman, done. It, it is eight to 10 years and perimenopause is eight to 10 years. So menopause is like puberty in reverse. Hmm. The problem is, is that we need that full period of time, almost that decade for everything to mature and for our body to find its rhythm. You know, 80, 90% of women are put on birth control before they even have an opportunity to figure out their rhythm. Mm -hmm. So we don't really know for a lot of women, well, were you regular? What was going on? Most girls aren't taught to track, you know, they, they get discomfort, mom panics, they give them things to, you know, Advil, ibuprofen and that, and then the pill to make Mm -hmm. it stop. Mm -hmm. And that whole period of time, like I said, our ovulation has been shut down. So we've taken these hormone levels that are supposed to be, you know, hyper for a period of time and then working to regulate. We've essentially said with the pill, I don't really care what you do anymore. I don't need you. I'm running the show. And by the way, when you bleed, I just want you to know that's not a period. That's called a chemical withdrawal bleed. The only way that we actually get a period or a bleed on the pill is by taking the sugar pills or stopping the pill for seven days. You know, I don't know if you ever did this when you're on the pill, if you were going on a holiday or an event was coming up and you'd be like, oh, I'm just going to keep taking the pill. Yep, so I you just take period. them right through. Don't want your period on spring break. So you just keep taking them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so that right there proves it. The only reason you bleed is when you stop taking it. And so you have a withdrawal of the chemical estrogen and progestin, and that's when you actually bleed. So for all those years, we weren't producing a period. Then you come off and we come off cold turkey. We don't wean off of it. And your body is like, I have no idea how to do this. You need to rewire and reestablish that connection. So it's like an exercise. If there's an injury, if somebody's going through something, you're teaching them a new movement pattern. You have to actually create new neural nets and a new patterning, a new highway system in the brain to that muscle in order for the body to understand how to fire. It's the same thing with our hormones. So we have to reset that by proper nutrients, proper supplementation. And in that case is really working with somebody who can be doing the proper testing and and be able to say to you, you know, why isn't your cycle back? Why is it erratic? Is it that we don't have enough estrogen and progesterone? Do we need to do things to support that for you? Is there a block somewhere in those metabolic paths? ways? Or is it the adrenals that we have to work on and and the thyroid? So Mm -hmm. what you're describing there, what I would recommend is doing a full blood workup to see what's going on from that perspective and doing a Dutch test and then having somebody who can actually take a look at both of them, overlap them, and then have a conversation with you to start to put all the, the pieces of the puzzle together. That makes total sense. I have a few clients. I heard you say this on, I think, one of your master classes, but I have a couple of clients that every single night they wake up in the middle of the night, like between one and four. And they say it happens every night and they think it's just because they have to pee or something and then they go back to sleep. Yes. Um, I heard you say it was related to liver function somehow. And I'm just curious why that is and what that means. 
So it can be a couple of different reasons for each person, but a lot of individuals wake up between one and four. So if we look from an Ayurvedic perspective or Chinese medicine, that period of time in the middle of the night, that is connected to the liver, that organ. Now, what that also resembles in most people is there is a blood sugar issue. So typically mm -hmm. there'll be a dip blood sugar will drop low. Your body recognizes this as a stressor. It'll actually wake you up not to pee, but for you to, it's looking for glucose. It'll wake you up to try to, to actually, well, to eat. Well, that's what it wants. Yeah, it does. Huh. Or it's trying to increase your cortisol, your stress hormone to actually pull some of the stored glycogen out of your liver and out of your muscles to give your body what it needs. Mm -hmm. Now we don't know that we don't wake up and go, Oh, it's just my liver trying to get some glycogen. We just roll over and go back to bed. We wake yeah. up and think, well, I must have to pee, otherwise why would I be awake? And this starts a whole other cascade of issues because when we open our eyes and we're seeing light, this sends a message into the body that we need that cortisol awakening response, that we should start to wake up. And then we stand, which increases our body temperature, and we get in motion walking. We might even turn a light on to actually see the toilet to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And so we start to give our body these signals like, okay, we need cortisol to start to increase because that's its job. It should double in its amount within the first 30 to 60 minutes of being awake. Problem is, is you don't really want to be awake. You lie back down and now you're tossing and turning because you have to wait. And most people will say if they wake between one and four, that they'll typically fall back asleep around four, four thirty, And then it's their best chunk of sleep between that time and when their alarm goes off. Why that happens is that you're not able to fall back asleep until that increase, that surge of cortisol has tapered off now. Melatonin can be reproduced in the system and your body can actually fall back asleep. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's messing with your circadian rhythm, like crazy. Completely. So blood sugar yeah. dysregulation, issues going on with the liver, that circadian rhythm. And every, you know, our circadian rhythm is important for our sleep, but every single system in your body and organ has its own circadian rhythm as well. So mm -hmm. how we set up for a great sleep at night is we got to start it in the morning. So having stable blood sugar all day long, having a good sleep routine and hygiene, just like you would for a child, you know, quiet, low lights, don't be eating before you go to bed, stop drinking alcohol at night, don't have any caffeine in the evening, you know, don't watch scary things or read scary things, get off your device at night before bed. All of those things are going to overstimulate your system. And at that point, it doesn't matter how much magnesium or melatonin you take, internally, you are revving up the wrong part of your body. I've heard that um, sleep consistency is more important actually than sleep quantity, sleep time, um, because of this circadian rhythms. Can you just speak to that a little bit and how important it is to really like have that set bedtime? And again, it's you have to create a structured routine. And so to actually have it where it's like at nine o'clock, you start to do the things that signal to your body that bedtime is coming. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as an infant, it would be like giving them a bath, you know, putting their jammies on, like you're cueing their system for knowing what is to come. So as an adult, could you like make a sleepy time tea? Can you turn off the lights? Can you get changed into more comfortable clothes? Could you put some essential oil on? Can you just be a little bit more quiet? Can you shut the things down in the house? Can you close the curtains? Like, what are the cues to give to your body? And then even if you can't be asleep by, you know, 10, 1030 at night, can you at least be like lying down? Mm -hmm. Can you be horizontal? Don't worry so much in the beginning if you're not getting seven to eight hours of sleep. Think more so, Do am I starting to create a consistent routine? Mm -hmm. And then over time with that routine and starting to shift some of the other things we talked about, 
you should start to notice better sleep. Can we talk a little bit about you to kind of finish this out? I'm curious about what's a big change that you've made in your life in the last year or so? I mean, sleep is something I'm constantly working on. I, my husband and I bought aura rings about uh, six months oh, ago. Cool. So I've been tracking my heart rate variability and body temperature mm-hmm. um, when I'm sleeping. So that's been you really- wear it, You wear it like a ring, right? Yeah, 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 it, yeah. it just cool. looks like a piece of jewelry. It mm-hmm. uses infrared technology. And what I really like about it is that you can actually keep it in airplane mode all the time so that you're not connected to anything uh. and then you just put it on its docking station to upload the information. So my awareness to my sleep, like as a mom of two and a business owner, there's always more that can be done at the end of the day or at any time of the day. I was always aware of it, but since having this, I've been so connected to, I just don't care as much anymore about the other things. Like to me, the laundry can be folded on the bench and not go into the closet for a whole week for all I care now. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the 30 minutes of hanging things up on a hanger is not as important to me as getting that 30 minutes of extra rest. Mm-hmm. I've also changed up my training for my system and I've just really started to honor and recognize when I open my eyes in the morning, how does my body want to move in that day? Not what does my training schedule say for me to do? I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your movement routine and what kinds of things that you do? Yeah. So um, I still instruct classes. Actually, I teach yoga and Pilates and I do a lot of like um, booty mobility based. I teach yoga tune up um, and core just ball classes, but I'm actually training for my third fitness competition right now. And my training approach is very different than the industry standard because I don't compromise my hormones. I don't do a lot of the gimmicky, very restrictive ways. And I don't do it to, to place or to win or to get my pro card. I do it because I really love to have that goal and, and to get up there for myself. So I'm turning 40 in September and um, I'm going to do a third and final show in December. I'm really doing it in a way that is honoring my system. And so I have a combination right now of doing some split days in the gym. Right now it's working a lot on like, you know, glutes and hamstrings, shoulders and back. Mm-hmm. And then yoga, I teach spin twice a week and I walk. I walk outside every day. That is like my meditation and uh, a lot of mobility work. One of the biggest things that are different when you're doing a fitness competition but not compromising your hormones. I'm not doing two-day workouts. I'm not doing cardio, mm-hmm. you know, five times a week. I'm doing cardio, you know, a couple of days a week. There's certain supplements I refuse to take. I'm not taking thermogenics. I'm not taking stacks. I'm not taking burners. Um, I won't use whey-based protein. I use plant-based protein powder. I'm not going to be consuming a diet that is chicken, broccoli, or you know, egg whites and asparagus for the next five months. Again, it's just really honoring my body, and, and everything has to resonate for me. So I do work with a coach, and you know, she is very open and understanding to how it is that I want to support my own body. You know, there's a lot of crazy things that people will do in order to look a certain way. And it can sound funny because I'm doing something where you're going to be up there and be judged based on how you look. But for me, I'm standing up there in spite of the judges based on how I want to feel up there. Hmm, That's awesome. Good for you. I love it. What makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning? conversations like this, to be honest, (laughs) it is, uh, my life's purpose and mission is to, it is to change the conversations we are having as women 
and it is to open up the opportunity for us to understand better questions to ask. We mm -hmm. don't know enough right now to know to start to change the quality of these questions. And so mm -hmm. having a podcast like this, having a conversation like this, that is exactly how it's going to happen. And, you know, I work with women of all ages, but my oldest is a 13 year old girl. And what I'm realizing more and more is it is the younger girls that need to be hearing this message first so that they do not end up in their late teens, 20s, 30s, and 40s having all of the issues that the women coming into my practice do. I have to say your, your passion and your conviction for what you speak about like comes through immediately. It was one of the reasons that I was like so drawn to you is that I could just feel how passionate you were and then also just how well informed and how you get across information so well. I've really felt like a connection to your message and I don't know, it's making me rethink just sort of like a lot of things with the direction that that I want to take training and that I want to take and like, what am I going to educate myself on next? And mm -hmm. so it's been really cool to learn. Oh, from you. I'm glad. Thank you. You know, some days I'm like, am I talking to myself? Like who's it landing <laughs> with? <laughs> but I do think, you know, more and more that this is the conversation that has to happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tell us a little bit more about um, what you're doing now. So I know you run uh, the Hormone Project. Mm -hmm. You still instruct fitness classes. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the Hormone Project and then what else um, it is that you're doing? Yeah, so the Hormone Project is a 10-week course that I run online four times a year. This is how I do my private coaching. So I work with women um, over two to three private consultations in a two-month period of time, depending. So some of the women, um, we actually run them through the Dutch testing. I do a blood analysis for all the women that come into the program. And I started to do this as opposed to just doing one-off consultations because it's not enough. Mm -hmm. And for me, if I'm going to work with a woman, I want her to understand why I'm asking her to do certain things or not do certain things. So the education piece to me is really the most important. So the curriculum over the 10 weeks is um, like, to be honest, I have physicians who do this course. I have nurses, I have holistic nutritionists, chiropractors, like all different walks of life that are coming into this because it's what we're not being taught, but what we need to know. So you come out of the end of this mm -hmm. program, understanding so much about your own endocrine system, um, and what you need to pay attention to. And then we go through three really specific protocols that focus on liver and gut health, adrenal and thyroid health. And then the final piece is really pulling it all together and teaching you how do you now take this forward into your life during different phases, transitions, and times that you're going through. We just started up actually last night with this group. And so I'll have another group launching end of September. I only work with 25 to 30 women at a time um, and it sells out every time. Um, I've actually just brought on another practitioner to help because it is it's a lot of consultations <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, even 25 uh, to 30 that's a lot that's a lot of people to keep track of what's going on with them and everything yeah so the nice thing is, is that with the consultations it's all online so I record mm -hmm. everything so that's the beautiful piece because you know I think when you go to an in-person consultation it's lovely to have that connection but as you drive away it's like the back of your head opens up and all the information leaves you Totally. Yeah. And you're so, like, you feel like, oh, I, I just learned so much. And then all of a sudden you try and say it and you're like, ah, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. Exactly. So in this, you, I teach you to build a health profile and portfolio for yourself. So you put your recording in there. Um, also on the recording, I pull up your blood work to show it to you and walk you through what every single thing means and your Dutch test. And then you have the recordings of that as well. So you really cool. start to, to build this vessel for yourself that when you feel lost down the road, or you can't remember why you started, 
you have this to come back to, to, to get mm -hmm. re-engaged. And then I have the Simplicity Project online, which is really the foundational program. It's six weeks. Um, we're turning this into an evergreen that women can actually be able to take at any time of the year. And I run it live twice a year in Newmarket at Nature's Emporium. Um, each September and May, we run this and we bring about 60 to 65 women together. Uh, it is, we're two hours together every Wednesday night and we have a ton of companies that come together with us. And these women actually leave with a loot bag every week with like full size products to get them started. And that's really what I want is, you know, theory is a wonderful thing, but if we never put it into practice and we don't integrate it, we don't really get the benefit. And so um, the programs I put out there into the world are really about, let's talk about it, let's teach it to you, and then let's actually get you put it into action. Mm -hmm. I want these women to feel like they finally found someone who actually is listening to them and is not dismissing what they're feeling. Yeah, awesome. Um, what are the best ways for people to connect with you? Definitely Instagram, which is uh, Jen Pike. It's Jen with two N's, or they can visit my website, which is www.jenpike.com. Amazing. Yeah, and I have a podcast as well that they can listen to the Simplicity Sessions. Yeah, which I love. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much. This yeah, thank fantastic. you for having me. Yeah, it was a yeah. good talk. Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you have any more questions about hormones or about anything that we discussed in this episode, please shoot those questions my way. This is definitely a topic that I want to keep the conversation going on, and I would love to know your thoughts on that. As you know, we release a new episode every Monday morning, so be on the lookout for next week's episode. We also now have a website, so you can visit www.howdoyoufeelpodcast.com to get access to all the episodes, to learn a little more about me, and get some more information on the podcast in general. You can also follow along with me on Instagram at KCMZav. Thanks so much, guys. I hope everybody has an amazing week. Make sure you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today. Okay.